So, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for listening to me. And I promise that uh, by the end of the two hours we spend together tonight, you will get a good sense of what we're talking about. No, we're not going to spend two hours tonight. But as the Bibles are being passed out, um, as the PowerPoint comes up tonight, you'll see all the verses for tonight on the screen. But Guys, it's important we're in the Word, so I'm going to ask you guys to actually find those passages of Scripture that are up there, and we're going to do that in a way that's very near and dear to my heart, um, and that's in the form of sword drills. Now, 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 before we get too much further, there's a reason why sword drills are so near and dear to my heart. I year was about 1983. I was about 12 or 13 years old. And, and honestly, I love sword drill so much that I found myself on the cusp of being the tri-state sword speed drill champion. Huge trophy the whole nine yards. Well, my mother, God love her, decided that she was going to mark the occasion by buying me a brand new Bible for the competition. And it was, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, Corinthian leather for the cover, Chinese silk for the little bookmark thing in the middle. There were lithograph pictures of the six days of creation. I mean, words of Christ in red. There were maps of the Holy Land in the back and Paul's missionary journeys and a concordance and a Bible dictionary. And in the very, very back, a three-foot-long uh, timeline popped out that taught you all about the end times. It was fantastic. So I got there the day of the competition, and unfortunately, in the very first round, tragedy struck. As I hoisted my brand new, beautiful leather wrap Bible in midair, there was a horrific snap as my shoulder bone broke. For you see, the Bible that my mother had so lovingly purchased for me was a 20-pound King James Bible, and I had been practicing with a 10-pound King James. So, Derek, to this day, every time you stand up here and you mention your horrific spleamer incident that dashed your professional hopes of, Simon says, my heart just... Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I feel you. Anyway, as we get started, now that you have your Bibles, let me open us up in a word of prayer, uh, because we are talking about prayer tonight, and that's really where we have to start. So let me do that for you guys as we begin. Uh, dear Father God, uh, we thank you for this opportunity, and I ask right now, Father God, your heart and your words, not my heart and my words. So may those people these people in this room hear that out of me tonight father god and may they come to understand how vital prayer must be in our lives and even better may they begin to practice it with fervor diligence and joy so it's in your holy name i pray amen so guys let me ask you at the top of this time together why do we pray just give me some answers off the top of your head you don't even have to raise your hands daniel Sure. Who else? Besides Daniel. Okay, closer relationship with God, sure. Mark. Worship Christ, okay, good. 
Daniel? Good. Good. Okay, sure. So let me tell you guys, if you're sitting here tonight and you're a follower of Christ and you used to pray, but you haven't for a while, it's my hope that by the end of this evening, you would be stirred into actually starting to pray again. If there are those of you that have never considered prayer to be important or necessary or vital in your walk with God, it's also my prayer that you would be convicted to begin the practice of prayer and never look back. If you're here tonight and you're wringing your hands and you're worried and you're going, oh, I don't know what God's will for my life is, to quote, semi-quote, paraphrase my good friend Jeff Shimp over there, if you're not in the word and you're not in prayer, then you're never going to know what God's will for your life is. So as we begin tonight, I want to start out the time with a short video that will give you guys an idea of some of the reasons why we've got to pray. So roll that video. So why should we pray? Uh, the simple answer to this is God is a relational being with which we can have a meaningful relationship. Prayer is not just about getting what we want. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't even know what we want. But a lot of times that's how we treat prayer. It's, God, I need this. Would you please deliver? But just think back over the course of your life, the things that you wanted. There's a good number of things that you're actually glad you didn't get what you wanted. So don't treat prayer simply as you have your wish list and God is the one that is to deliver. More than that, what prayer is, it's an opportunity for you to enter into communion with the creator of all the universe. And just consider how amazing that is. God is not some impersonal being out in the distance and neither is he just a genie to grant us our wishes. But he is the creator, he is the king that is our father. So approach prayer in that way. Why does God want us to pray? It's because he wants us to, to interact with him in a meaningful way because he loves us. So I want to start out the evening with 1 John 5, 14 through 15. So if you're in the room and you've never experienced a sword drill, it's real easy. You hold it by the spine. Thank you, Daniel. Hold your Bible by the spine, just like so. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that reference again, even though it's right up there. And when I say go, you guys are going to go. What I want you to do is the first person that finds it, or as you find it, yell, got it. But just stand up, and that'll give me a good idea who said got it, and then we can go from there. So... We are looking for 1 John 5, 14 to 15, and go. Gabby's going to find it. Gabby and uh, Jason, you have a 15-second handicap. For I it. Yes. Okay, so is everybody basically there? All right, 10 seconds, five seconds. Seth, did I see you stand up? Yep. All right, guys, Seth is going to read this passage for us. Follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. 
14 and 15. Thank you. So I want you guys to notice the part in this verse that says, if we ask anything according to his will, that's super important. And just a pro prayer tip, God, as this guy said on the screen, is not a genie that grants wishes. Uh, you guys think back to last week in that vending machine uh, video that we watched. I think that guy is probably still standing there waiting for that Corvette. Um, but... He's not waiting somewhere out there in the great beyond for us to call in our request. And the great thing is, is that God is already at work in our lives and in the world. So, why do we pray? Real simple, first one, God calls us to pray in his word. Bible's up. I want you guys to find Romans 12, 12. And go. Isaiah. Yep, hang on one minute. All right, guys, Isaiah, would you read that nice and loud for us? Read that again because some people were still talking. Awesome. Next verse. Bible's up. Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18 and go. Wow. All right. All right, guys, listen up. Chloe, would you read that for us? Thank you. All right, next one. Bible's up. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And go. Wow. Woo. All right, my man. Nice and loud. Okay. Last one. Bible's up. And Colossians 4, 2, and go. Wow. 
Wow. All right, guys, last verse. I'm going to give it to Jason because I think I saw him jump up. Jason, stand up nice and loud. Oh. All right, thank you, Jason. All right, so I want you guys to look at the screen real quick. Do you guys see any interesting words that jump out at you. And I'll give you a hint. They're kind of like <laughs> Jason. Okay. Anything else? Okay. That's up there. Awesome, Mark. Okay. There's one more. Beautiful. All right. So, we see those words up there, and they all kind of have the same thing in common. They're giving us the idea that there's a, a specificity to, specificity? Wow, that's a tough word to say. To what God wants us to do with prayer. Um, to me, it says that for him, prayer for us is vital, that he values it, and maybe even considers it as necessary as breathing. I think it should be a practice of every believer. And by the way, as we contemplate and begin this whole idea of prayer, let's remember who we're praying to. It's not a random guy. It's not a wish and a hope that somebody's up there hearing. Uh, because of this book that we're in, we know that we're praying to a God that spoke the entire universe into existence with his mouth. Uh, we know we're praying to a God that rescued millions of Israelites from a captive nation. The same God we're praying to was the same God that shut the mouths of lions as Daniel spent a night in the worst Airbnb that you could possibly imagine. Um, and not only that, but he's also a God that healed the sick, cured the lame, caused the blind to see, raised the dead, and then, as an encore, died for the sins of all mankind, rose again on the third day, and hey, someday he's coming back for us. So this is the God that we're praying to as we pray. So because of that, prayer also turns into for us, acts of adoration and thanksgiving and even worship. And so in the very act of prayer, not only does he want us to do that, but it also becomes a period, a time of worship with Father God, the creator. And Derek's going to get into some more of that next week as we talk about how to pray. So why do we pray? Another reason, prayer helps us avoid temptation. Anybody in here ever been tempted by anything? Uh, yeah, y'all should have your hands up. Um, let's go to the Word again and get those Bibles high in the air. 
That's why we're doing it. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, and go. <laughs> Yo, all right. <laughs> all right, guys, listen up. Hala, nice and loud. All right, second verse. Bible's up. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and go. <laughs> Gabby. Guys, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So these two verses tell me and tell us that if we take our temptations to God, he's going to be able to help us with those because he himself was tempted when he was here on the earth. And so he understands on a basic human level what temptation is like. And the other thing is not only is he sympathetic and understanding about all our temptations, but he's able to help us avoid them in the first place because, hey, he's God. So we can use prayer as a method to resist temptation. We can pray through it. We can ask God for wisdom and discernment to know when temptation creeps into our lives. And we can even pray for other people in times of our own personal temptation. And what that does is that takes the focus off of our temptation. And it puts our focus clearly on others that may have a need. So why do we pray? Prayer keeps us humble before God. And even more so, it reminds us that we're not in control. Bible's in the air. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, and go. <laughs> All right, Seth, go ahead. So as we practice this humility in prayer, um, you're probably going to find yourself in a waiting period because God, again, is not like an instapot or like a genie where things immediately happen as we pray. But what that does, that act of waiting, that period of waiting, helps us practice faith. It helps us practice patience. 
And it helps us realize that God cares for each and every one of us in a deeply personal way. And nobody understood more about humility before God and going to God in prayer more than this guy. This guy, George Mueller, interesting-looking character, digging the beard, kind of looks like a big pile of uh, cotton balls, but uh, was the fashion of the time. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? No. Oh, good. Good. Excellent. All right, so for those of you that don't know, George Mueller, early on in his life, he had a stellar reputation as a liar and a thief, but as he does, God gets a hold of him, and George ends up going and becoming an evangelist and a missionary. And one of the biggest things, one of George's biggest contributions during his life was that he had a heart for orphans. Now this was England, and there were an awful lot of kids that had no parents and were out on the streets, so the need was great. Um, so George very humbly started out by housing orphans in his own home. Um, pretty soon he had like upwards of 30 kids in his modest house, and that was absolutely way too many kids. So he began to build orphanages, and the interesting thing about George and his orphans and his staff was that for the entirety of his life, uh, he and the orphans and the staff lived what we call hand-to-mouth. Is anybody familiar with that phrase? Basically, hand-to-mouth means that they really didn't have a clear-cut idea of when the next meal was coming from, when the next pay was coming from, uh, how the next need would be met. But the interesting thing is, is that because of the way they lived, it forced George and his staff and these orphans to rely heavily on the good graces of God and of the act of prayer. And the amazing thing is, is that if you go back and you look at George's story and read and hear some of what happened over the course of his life, you come to quickly realize that God very often met their needs in the nick of time or just moments before the need became dire. And it happened again and again and again. The other interesting thing is that Mueller never made personal requests of the public for donations. And he never, ever went into personal debt during his lifetime. And yet, needs were always met. One of the best examples of this is what I like to call the breakfast story. And the story goes is that George and the orphans found themselves once again without anything for breakfast one morning, all the cups and bowls were empty. The children were gathered waiting for their morning meal and Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school and so he lifts up his hands and he says, dear father, we thank thee for what thou about to give us to eat. And I can only imagine the orphans at that point thinking like, what? There's a knock on the door. He answers the door, and the local baker is standing there. And the baker says, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, so I got up and I baked you some. So he gives them the bread, and no sooner does he do that, another knock. Mueller opens the door again. It's the milkman. 
the milk wagon had broken down in front of the orphanage. And in order to have it fixed, all the milk that was on the wagon had to be unloaded. And so the milkman said, are you in need of milk right now? Of course, George said, absolutely we are. And so the children were fed. And again, there's story after story after story in George's life of incidences like this happening. And so George Mueller's life was one of humility and constant prayer and a life living out Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. And that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And George could do all this with confidence because God had demonstrated time and time again that he was faithful in answering the humble prayers of his servant. So why else do we pray? Well, prayer can be a witness to God's power. And we're about to share, I'm about to share one of my favorite all-time stories in the Bible, and it is the story of the prophet Elijah. And prophet Elijah was a prophet to the people of Israel at a time where people were extremely wicked. Um, they really weren't interested in following God. They were following pagan idols, pagan gods, doing their own thing. Um, and so as a result of that, God had actually caused a drought. There had been no rain for close to three years. And so Elijah decides that he is going to do something pretty amazing. And uh, if you look in 1 Kings 18... There's a story in there about a showdown. And so, watch this clip. Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, 1 through 19, 18. It had not rained in Israel for three years. God told the prophet Elijah to meet with Israel's evil king Ahab. God said he would send rain. Ahab wasn't pleased to see Elijah. So you're the troublemaker, Ahab said. You're the troublemaker, Elijah replied. You and your family have chosen to worship Baal, a false god. Elijah challenged Ahab to meet him on Mount Carmel and bring along 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of another false god that the queen worshipped. Ahab was to command the people of Israel to come too. At Mount Carmel, Elijah spoke to the people. How long will it take you to make up your mind? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. I am the only prophet of God, but there are 450 of Baal's prophet. We will each make a sacrifice, but we will not burn them. We will pray, and the God who sends fire to burn the sacrifice is the true God. The people agreed. Elijah instructed the prophets of Baal to prepare a bull for their sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal built their altar and prepared the sacrifice. Now it was time for their God to light the fire. Oh, Baal, answer us, they cried. Answer us and light the sacrifice. They called out all morning. No fire came. They danced around the altar, but no fire came. By noon, Elijah started mocking. Shout louder. Maybe Baal is off thinking or busy or on vacation. Perhaps he's asleep. You must wake him. Baal's prophets cried louder. They cut themselves to get Baal's attention, but nothing happened. So Elijah took his turn. 
First, he repaired the altar of the Lord, placing 12 stones, one for each tribe of Israel. Then he dug a trench around the altar. Finally, he laid the wood and the sacrifice on the altar. Fill four water pots and pour water over everything, Elijah instructed. Do it three times. Everything was soaked. Even the trench was full of water. God, Elijah prayed, show everyone that you are the one true God. I am your servant and I have obeyed you. Turn Israel's heart back to you. Then with a great whoosh, fire from God came down and burned up everything. The sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. The people were stunned. They fell on their faces saying, the Lord, he is God. Seize the prophets of Baal, Elijah ordered. Don't let them escape. The people took the false prophets to the brook, and Elijah killed them. Elijah told King Ahab, go home. It is going to rain. Ahab prepared to go, but Elijah knelt down and prayed. When it had not rained, he told his servant, look toward the sea. Do you see anything? Nothing, the servant answered. Look again, Elijah said. The servant replied, still nothing. Elijah's servant looked seven times. The seventh time he said, I see a cloud no bigger than a man's hand. Hurry, tell King Ahab to get his chariot down from the mountain before it rains so hard he won't be able to, Elijah instructed. Dark clouds filled the sky, the wind picked up, and heavy rain fell. It was the first rain in three years. When Queen Jezebel heard that Elijah had killed the prophets of Baal, she sent a message to Elijah. By this time tomorrow, you will be just as dead as those prophets. Elijah ran for his life. As he sat under a bush in the wilderness, Elijah prayed that God would kill him. I've had enough, Lord, Elijah prayed. Take my life. Exhausted, he fell asleep. God's angel woke Elijah and gave him food and water. Elijah slept again. The angel returned with another meal. Now Elijah had strength to journey 40 days to Mount Horeb, where he hid in a cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asked. I've worked hard for you, Elijah responded, but your people haven't honored their covenant to you. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets. I'm the only prophet left, and they want to kill me too. Stand outside the cave, God instructed, and I, the Lord God, will pass by. A powerful wind tore at the mountainside and shattered rocks, but God was not in the wind. Then an earthquake shook the mountain, but God was not in the earthquake. After that came terrible fire, but God was not in the fire. Soon Elijah heard a whisper. He pulled his cloak over his face and stood at the front of the cave. Now tell me, Elijah, the quiet voice said, what are you doing here? I faithfully served you, Elijah answered again, but the people of Israel don't want to worship you. I'm the only prophet left and they want to kill me. Go back through the wilderness, God instructed. Anoint Elisha as my prophet after you, and know that you are not alone. 7,000 people have refused to worship Baal. Elijah learned to rely on God. We can rely on God too. He is as faithful today as he was in Elijah's day. We can be sure that God will never leave us. So... In this really awesome story, not only does God show up in a powerful way, but he also, catch the last part of that, interacts with Elijah as Elijah prays after his mountaintop encounter. 
And the way that God shows up after both of those prayers also demonstrates his power. Have you guys ever had a moment like that? Like you have this really awesome mountaintop experience and then something quickly happens thereafter to make you completely forget that that just happened. That's what happened to Elijah. Yet God in that moment was there for you, not only in that mountaintop moment, but the moment that happened directly after. As it was for Elijah, as it said in the video and in the verse, he shows up in a whisper. And that's the way God demonstrates his power, not only in a powerful way, but also in a quiet way, where he takes care of his people when they feel all alone. So how else, or why else, should we pray? Well, prayer strengthens the bond between believers, and it unifies us. Bible's up. Matthew eighteen twenty and go. Jason, why don't you read that for us? Thank you. All right. Next verse, Acts 4. And it's 24 to 31, but I want somebody to just read the part that's up on the screen. So would somebody just read that for me? Nate. Next verse, Sec second verse. Thank you. So cliff notes of this passage, um, what you have to get out of this is this was a time in the early church where they were praying mightily for boldness to preach. They're being persecuted and thrown into jail and worse. And so as they'd done many times before, they got together to pray and pray for boldness specifically, and I love what it says. It said that the very room they were in, it, it, it shook. That's, that's power. That's really an awesome display of God's power uh, as they unified under prayer. So let me ask you guys tonight, back to what we talked about at the beginning, if you haven't made prayer a priority, if you haven't really thought about it much before, I'm going to ask you, why not right now? As Nick said last week, you don't have to get it all together. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to learn a fancy language in order to God, go to God in prayer. 
You know, George Mueller didn't do any of those things. Elijah didn't. Um, early church sure didn't. And what that tells me is that tells me that prayer is not meant to be intimidating. It's meant to flow naturally from us as an attitude of thanksgiving and thankfulness and adoration for a God that truly cares for us and loves us and wants what's best for us. But if you're not convinced yet about the need for prayer, I'm thinking that maybe this last little bit will help. Check out some of these picks. So whether you realize it or not, we've already been doing the very act of prayer within TNT, just like the early church. And you guys have prayed at flagpoles. You've prayed over missions projects. You've prayed over kids from other countries that you've never even met. You've prayed for that beautiful building next door. And I recall a night where we stood outside in the grass and we prayed over an imaginary teen center that will prayerfully one day come to fruition. And you guys prayed over teens that haven't even arrived on campus yet. You've prayed over all of that. Best of all, you've prayed for each other. We all go through tough stuff. And one of my favorite things about this group is that no matter what the tough thing is, there have been times of prayer in here that I'm sure God has loved to hear and we've honored him by doing that very thing. So I want you guys as we close to remember one critical thing, don't ignore prayer. Make it a regular part of your devotion to God. Make it a regular part of reading the word. Make it a regular part of your day. Pray often. As we said before in the scripture we read, pray without ceasing. Pray about everything. Pray at all times. And don't let it feel difficult. If it feels difficult, that's probably the enemy trying to discourage you from even getting started. So disregard that notion that may creep into your, your, into your mind that, it, that this is a difficult thing because God is waiting to hear from you guys. And he wants to have a relationship. And part of that relationship is earnest, honest communication on the regular with him. So I want us to commit to praying tonight and praying together continuing to pray together about all things. And as we do that, it's my prayer, and I'm sure the prayer of every adult in this room, that in doing so, that would deepen your relationship with Almighty God. Thanks for listening, and uh, let me pray you guys out.
So, Father, we come to you with complete confidence tonight. We pray to you, knowing that it is more than a wish or a hope that there is somebody up there listening. We come knowing because of your word that you are the one true God. Your word is filled with people that faced unbelievably trying circumstances and odds that were stacked against them. There are those in your word that faced staggering amounts of oppression and attacked by powerful enemies, yet they went to you in prayer for help, and you answered those prayers in a mighty way. The God that protected them and saw those people through is the same God we're praying to right now. So, Father, we ask you that you would help us remember to come to you for, during times of trial, not as a last-ditch Hail Mary attempt, but we ask that you keep us humble. And we not only come to you after we have figured it all out on our own, we also ask, Father, that we come to you in praise and thanksgiving often. For you are a good Father that blesses us more than we could ever imagine. Most of all, we thank you that you desire to hear from us and that you want a relationship with us and that you care deeply for each of us. May we continue in prayer, always with you. Thank you, Father. Amen.